This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Marissa. This is where I'm supposed to say my name, right? Yep. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. This is Luke Daniels. I narrated the book. Yeah. What book? Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, this was oh, very happy to have you as well. Um, the Man Who Japed. You don't know when you recorded it, though, right? I think they japed it from my memory. Uh, uh, I believe. I think it was there was a spate of these that came through that I did about two or three years ago. And then subsequently, there's been a couple more scattershot. But the bulk of them, I did it like, a, I don't know, over a six month stint. Uh, wow, so that'd be a good six months. Yeah, it was fun because you get to read a bunch of his stuff different periods, too. So, you know, I, I didn't know much about him other than, you know, your generic knowledge of Philip K. Dick and the movies that got made into uh, from his books, but otherwise I hadn't really read it. So it was cool to get kind of a crash course in uh, a whole, you know, half dozen of his works from a different, uh, couple different uh, genres. And so mm. keeping them straight, though, this one I had to go back and listen to. Uh, I kind of skimmed through and, and remembered as soon as I did, okay, this is the one, you know, uh, that has all that. But it was interesting to listen to it again, too, because it's been, like I said, probably three years. So, I'm not always a fan of listening that far back. You definitely evolve as you do more and more books. Uh, so it's hard not to be critical, but, um, but it, it, it still holds up. I mean, and he definitely, there's just something about, uh, his stuff that I've always been drawn to. So I don't know what it is. I know when I, one of the first influential books for me was, uh, Kerouac and I, I've always kind of felt his writing to me feels akin to that if Kerouac went off on certain tangents and yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So I, I think that's one of the reasons is the way he, his prose, the way he puts together his scenes um, at times can be infuriating, but it, at other <laughs> times it's, it's really fun. So you, you, I think you have to do that hard stuff to get to the fun scenes when it really pays off. Um, so I was just happy to be able to do it. I felt really like lucky. It kind of came out of nowhere um, I'd done other sci-fi and, and fantasy, so I was used to the genre, but when they mentioned his name or whatever, you always kind of perk up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, I did a look, and you you had uh, six on Audible. I assume that's how many you've well, done total. they just released one that I think I did like a year and a half. <laughs> wow. I just noticed there was one that was dropping, I think one of the most recent. I think I recorded that at least a year and a half ago. Hmm. Um, but that happens sometimes when they get stuff, especially like this, when they get the rights to a whole bunch of them, uh, and they're kind of divvying them out over the course of a time. Right. Dribbling them out. Yeah. Um, uh, we just actually finished listening to now wait for last year. We recorded that last week, which is another one of yours. And, uh, we all agreed that that was one of his best. Now, uh, let's go see. How everybody agrees. Dick says this is one of his best. At least he did early in his life. Uh, after he'd written like, th uh, I think he had written even the Man in the High Castle, and he said this was his favorite. Um, 
What do you think, Marissa? Is this your favorite? <laughs> no, it's not my favorite. I, I went in with really low expectations, like you said, and, uh-huh. uh, like you suggested. And uh, I, I thought it was really good. Like I, yeah. It was funny, and I enjoyed it, but I wouldn't put it up there with one of my favorites. No, not at all. Give uh, me quick, uh, quick and dirty plot synopsis. Yeah, go for it. No, can you? Oh, <laughs> I don't oh. remember. <laughs> oh, Paul, what, what do you think? What's the plot? Okay, well, the, the plot is it's post-nuclear war. The world is unified under a very totalitarian government, and Alan, our protagonist, is up for a big position in, in basically censorship and morality. But at the same wait, time... Wait, no, I'm talking about now wait for last year. Oh, oh, oh. Now, now wait for last year. Okay. No, I know the one we're talking about today. I at least oh. did that homework. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, hmm... Uh, what is the plot for Now Wait for Last Year? It's good. Who's the main character? I'm trying to remember. Let me look it up, maybe. Uh, as soon as we finished it, I completely forgot it, just like (laughs) you do. They all have similar first names. It's all Alan or John or the... Paul will will be able to recall it. Yep, Now Wait for Last Year is the the three-way war between Earth and the superior the superior uh, men and, and the Reeks and Revolves around revolves on the physician named Eric Sweetsend, who becomes the physician to the world leader, uh, Mr. Molinari or Mr. Molinari, depending on how you pronounce it. And the and and of course the uh, the drug the drug JJ one eighty, which is highly ad- highly addictive, highly toxic, and allows you to go swimming through uh, time forward and back. And that that sounds right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I remember now. Thank you. Very well. Eric Sweetson. Eric you got there. You could just be like, name it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Just need the that Eric Sweetsent to bring it all back. That was a great one. Uh so Alan Purcell uh is our hero here. Mm-hmm. Um one of the things uh, oh uh, Paul, what what did you think of this, the man who japed? It's I think I, I, I think I'll be charitable and call it minor dick. It's Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, I'm uh, not saying it's bad, but it's yeah, not. It's, it's definitely even if it's good or bad, it's it's not epic in the same way that I mean, it's a joke. That's the other thing, right? So it can't be as big. But uh, oh, I guess it's a big jape, though. Uh, Luke, you you said this is one of your favorites, didn't you? Um, I liked uh, well when I went back and listened to it because they do blend together. Even when you describe totally. now wait for last year, yeah. there's all these crossover <laughs> things, and a lot of times. I swear to God, you know, he'll, you'll go halfway through the book and then you're in this alternate kind of world. You're like, oh, I just set up a whole third of a book in this genre or this is where we're going. And now we're so a lot of times it's uh, it's kind of a trip. They all blend together. But um, there were things I like. I, I feel like it's kind of classic in my mind, Dick, as far as the classic elements that you see with him, uh, with that kind of dystopian society, the, the guy. I, one of the things that struck me was Alan's kind of, and I think I played it that way just because it, it felt something came through, but he was so ambivalent to everything. Once it kind of happened, it just, he went with everything, mm-hmm. which was interesting, but uh, it does lend itself sometimes to being a bit long uh, in mm-hmm. places and a bit... Um, it feels long for a short book, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did, yeah. What did and, you think of it, JC? I yeah. like the kind of corporate stuff, the how he's kind of subverting their, um, you know, trying to out him and him, you know, saying, well, at least I can do something in the 
in the week I have left, you know, that kind of immediacy, but then you don't, it didn't lend itself to the scenes. And then again, his women characters were kind of flat. So it just didn't have the same. Yeah. They're never, never flat. They're very yeah. rounded and very. Yeah. They're always, nice. yeah, they do, they do have curves. <laughs> A little bit dumpy, <laughs> dumpy or perky. One of the things I, I picked out on that word list was uh redheaded, blonde haired, uh, right. There's a lot of descriptions of, of people, um, almost always women. Um, and they get, there's, uh, they're always girls or, uh, women. Uh, they're never women. They're always girls. There's gal. Um, in this case, we've got the wife, uh, as a, you know, the standard dick novel has a wife, whether she's fully present in the entire text, has her own story, or she's just there drugged up. In this one, is she's the drugged up wife. Yeah. Uh, we we learn at the beginning of the book that she, they've only been married for three years and, and <laughs> but they longer. love each other. They they love yeah. each other in this one. It's, it's so true. different. It's true. This is Dick in uh, happy mode. Yeah. Uh, not getting a divorce at the. They're they're like loyal and they're sweet to each other and they're looking out for each other. <laughs> yeah, no, they're definitely they're a pair. Uh, yeah. And there is something to the whole uh, uh, kind of home development you know, having to come before that tribunal, there's something pedantic in it that it's just about like the housing committee, you know, that you might have to, uh, but there is something there that felt very timely totally. uh, uh, still nowadays. So I think those, those meetings of the everybody kind of free for all and the stripped down monotone voice. So nobody has any, you know, it's all anonymity. Um, that's a fun thing. I felt that was pretty visual and would yep. make, a nice scene in a movie or so, but it yeah, just doesn't hold something together. you've never seen. Something you've never mm-hmm. seen. Mm-hmm. And he he says that that is based on the idea of of uh, what's happening in China at the time, where mm. you know the cultural revolutions happening yep. and people are accusing each other and stuff. And I see that uh, I see that as you know totally plausible. But I I also live in a condo myself and. I try not to have any interaction with my neighbors because um, when I first moved into this condo, uh, my, sorry, my conapt, uh, <laughs> when I first moved into my conapt, I uh, was friendly with a neighbor who saw me moving in and he said, oh, I see you've got a computer. Um, I would love for you to show me how to use mine. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Dubious words. Right. So I I showed him how to make an email address and I showed him how to use Yahoo or Google, whatever it was at the time. Um, this is how you do searches. And and then I went on my wear, merry way to just continuing my regular life. Uh-oh. And then, of course, I got a note under the door. <laughs> and the note said, you have ruined my marriage. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And what it turns out was uh, was happening. Uh, I really am glad I didn't get involved subsequently. Uh, was that uh, the person I had showed the man of the house I had showed had been using his newfound powers to search for I don't know n- nuded nude women. On the inter- oh, oh God! Uh, oh, that's hilarious. And so I was like, Oh God. Well, yeah. You, what, you didn't show him how to fi- find porn. You showed him how to find stuff you, on the what, internet. Oh you wait, are, what did you? What did you show him, Jesse? Oh, like, <laughs> you were only. Doing I showed it him how to says. make his email 
Perhaps. You give a man a fish. Exactly. They just eat for a day. You teach him how to fish. He has sex set. with that fish. He's gonna fish for ladies. Got to fish for <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Wow. That's awesome. So. I was expecting the notes to be like, come and show me how to use my printer. Come and help right, me do yeah, this. <laughs> I, I got a virus. What do I do? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those are all problems that, yeah, could have happened. But the good news is I, I, I think because I didn't react to it other than, but, oh, my God, what have I got myself into? Um, and, you know, uh, how are you blaming me? <laughs> like, I just, <laughs> whatever. So uh, what I'm saying is I'm really glad we don't have like there is actually, a, you know, a council meeting, a, a building council meeting, mm-hmm. a ton of gossip going on about who's doing what to whom. So, uh, you know, so I think, you know, he does talk a lot about condominium apartments in his other books as well. I, I'm well not, it's all about how do people cohabitate when exactly. they're crowded together. Mm. And, and so one of the things, if you go back and re-listen to the book, especially early on. Um, you'll notice that it's actually it's an overpopulation world too. This isn't mm-hmm. this isn't really subsequently pushed. Um, you know the whole thing about losing the lease that that's exactly. your land, but it's just for a small. Yeah, he, he, his kitchen turns into a his bedroom turns into a kitchen, right? Right. And the very first, I think that's the very first sentence, which is a very good opening sentence. Yeah. He lost a kitchen and gained. Oh uh, no, lost a bedroom and gained a kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> so this is you know wow convenient. Yep. Um, but she's folding up her clothes and putting them in the oven. Yeah, I, I, I want to I read this for the, for the listeners. Sure. He was king of his domain, this one-room apartment within sight of the blessed Morak Spire. The, har- the apartment was hard won. It had been his heritage, deeded to him by his family. The lease had been defended for over 40 years. Defended? It's mm-hmm. thin, plaster-forward walls formed a box of priceless worth. It was an empty space value beyond money. Let's continue for a moment. The, mm-hmm. the stove properly unfolded became also sink and table and food cupboard. Two chairs hinged out from its underside and beneath the storage supplies were dishes. Most of the room was consumed, but sufficient space remained in which to dress. Just enough. Just right. just enough. Um, 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 this reminds me of stuff like uh, Bilenium by J.G. Uh, Ballard where everyone's living in, in tinier and tinier spaces. Make room, make room. Make room, make room by Harry Harrison. And the, the, the feeling I got was not that the, the earth was so much overpopulated. It's just that there's, because we were talking about Hokkaido being a radioactive wasteland. And I think that just the available good space is so limited that what good space there is, is does everyone scrap crammed into that? That's still, that's still overpopulation, my right. friend. Right, Whether, but not not because we've spread over the entire Earth. Just as what's what's good and left is so so uh, yeah. packed in. It's a different not, kind of yeah. population. Yeah, we're not living on the beach, but oh. but uh, that it's also true of New York, or in this case, newer York, which newer I thought. York. The, <laughs> yeah. The often in uh, Futurama, it's new New York, right? Right, and, um, and Doctor Who has like new 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 York. It's like 37 new, 37th New York. <laughs> new X37 New York. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Or to the 14th power or whatever it would be. Uh, well, that's not the only thing going on in this book. The overpopulation, I think, is pretty much dropped right away. Uh, the drugs don't seem to uh, really play into anything. This is, this is what I like about Philip K. Dick is he – he sort of gets all his things, you know, 
all the things he's going to write about, puts them up front in the book, and then they sort of develop. Uh, Luke, you were saying something along the lines that, you know, he, the, the, the character Alan Purcell sort of is ambivalent until he sees where it's going and then he, he commits. Um, well, that's also yeah, how he, Dick writes the book. <laughs> it's yeah. Well, it seemed even his was reversed that he was he kind of was caring at the beginning about what's going on, and then once he sees, once his subconscious whatever's doing the japing and the all that takes over, gives up. It's like well, it's I I didn't even know I did it to begin with, and it's done. So I can't. He kind of like doesn't have any uh, stake in it anymore, or he doesn't have he doesn't have to worry about culpability for anything he does because he's just acting you know under his own uh will at that point yeah so it, it, it this is i think undercooked in this book compared to other books but it, it's kind of about free will and mm-hmm. you know I, you know I, I heard a story on the radio yesterday i think it was about some hockey coach or football coach punching some other person and you say, you know, it just happened. Right. Um, it's built into the guy to do that. He, Oh yeah. He, he was a, like a hockey coach and he was, he had been a former NHL quote unquote enforcer, right. Which is the guys who go around beating up the other guys on the other yeah. team. Um, and so when he ended up punching somebody, um, well, that's, it's not like he intended to punch somebody. It just happens. And I think this is, it's interesting in here is that it's not made a big deal about, I mean, he goes to the psychiatrist and that turns into just a humorous section rather than seriously treated. But there are other novels where he, he is much more serious with the, you know, like, I don't know what I did yesterday or I don't remember not, I don't remember doing that. So um, what's the, the drug book that got turned into a cartoon? Oh, Scanner Darkly. Scanner Darkly. Right? So it has that sort of exact sort of thing going on in it. Mm-hmm. But that is much more of the focus. Whereas here, uh, it's 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 just touched on and sort of it's a scene. But yeah, Purcell doesn't like obsess over it like we kind of want him to. Yeah, he's only worried because he's do this propaganda job if I'm if I did this other mysterious act. Hmm. What What do you think about the juveniles? Well, I did see a question on Goodreads, which was a good question, which is where were they when he did when he <laughs> went and attacked the statue? Well, it said yeah. they did follow him. Um, but oh, so they they were recording him that night, right? They they were recording him, but they didn't get that, as far as we know. Yeah. But it's also interesting, like they they're. You know, another thing that's sort of undercooked in this is that the robots aren't really as sentient as they normally are. Like, yeah, they're a little daft. Yeah, they're so in this case. That is kind of indicative, though, of the whole place. It's kind of running on fumes, it feels like. Yeah. 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 You know, even the robot things are missing things. People are cutting down heads off the statues. They are all squabbling about, you know, a couple feet of space. So everything's kind of lesser uh, uh not doing so well yeah so oh. yeah the, after the nuclear war mankind has not got back to its previous heights i mean there are there are hints so yes so we have extrasolar colonies and there's the extrasolar colony that the psychology thing and we really hand wave getting there and back i thought that was <laughs> it's like wait wait there and now you're going back yeah. you don't but, want to stand all the way do you 
<laughs> yeah, it's just like, talk about going on a trip and having to stand all the way. Yeah, but yeah, th- th- this <laughs> is fancy. this is not the. It's the, like the bus, right? Yeah, it's like public transit. <laughs> yeah. You go you go there for the weekend. It, it's like a six-hour trip. Um. Yeah. So it, it, that part feels really undercooked. But uh, I must say, I really I did enjoy the jape, the the big jape, and mm-hmm. I like the word jape. But I I don't think I'm using it. I, I if it was written today to be more contemporary, even though you know that's not how Dick's vocab works. He doesn't like. He he just has his own vocabulary going. But in this case, it would be like uh, the man who punked, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, that, that 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 would be the the title if he had written it today. Um, but I, I, again with the un, undercooked things that we do we do get the uh, the the brief alternate reality that Alan falls into with with mm-hmm. the uh, where he's married to somebody else mm-hmm. and he's living a different life. I I, I kept thinking uh, <laughs> of that uh, Talking Heads song, Once in a Lifetime. This is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful, <laughs> beautiful wife. You're right. And he's not even really into the to the whole alternate alternate wife. He's even fighting with her. It's like yeah, you can't you can't even have a you can't even have a happy alternate life. And he's and he soon kind of blends right back out of it and comes back to reality. So it's, again, it's like Dick tries like, oh, I have to put an alternate reality. Nah, that's not so interesting. Let's forget about it. And we never hear about that again, or even really have interaction with that again. This is like he, he throws out these plot lines and ideas and some come out some come don't and in the better novels we get a couple good strands that bring us to the novel and in the lesser novels some peter out and the others just wander along till we finally get to a conclusion i think that's where the man who jake kind of falls into i mean this whole this whole theft slash slash uh punking of the of the statue is something we don't generally see a lot in other in other novels it's that's a rather silly novel not novel but but it, again ties into the uh i don't even remember what i did but again it's not very uh it's not very uh harsh like say is scanner darkly where we're actually mm-hmm. questioning he's not questioning his own identity it's it's, it's like you got the consequences draw- here are a lot a lot you know less at the end i don't feel like he's gonna die do you I don't think so because because I, I was frustrated with the ending. To be perfectly honest, okay, we're gonna okay, we're rushing. We're gonna get on this rocket. We're gonna get out of here. We're gonna live on a new life in the colony. Oh no, wait, we'll just go, we'll, we'll we'll take what comes. It's like, guy, wait well, a minute. Well, it wasn't just take what comes though, right? Because he he's saying he sees the faces of the the teenagers, not the juveniles. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, that what what I this is something I love about Philip K. Dick, um, and it must be interesting as a narrator to 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 see this happen. But you have the words, and you don't have the um, the thinking behind them. You just see the action that follows as a consequence. So how how to read those words is interesting, because what you do is you you see he looks over and sees something, and then something is said, and that is totally subject to the interpretation of what's what he's seeing. So what is he seeing in the faces of those teenagers? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is it hope? Is it fear? Is it anger? I thought it was anger. I thought they were going to attack them. It's almost like it's accountability, like what he went through of kind of not 
doing anything and just going along for the ride and just being kind of washing his hands and being so ambivalent about it, he can't ultimately commit to that. He has to stay back. Well, he did also, always in those meetings, he was trying to protect people all the time. Like Mm -hmm. he had this kind of good side where he was trying to stick up for people. And I, I feel like that was part of the ending as well, where he's just like got that, he doesn't want to leave people to the society that he doesn't feel is quite right. It also made me think of like, um, I just watched a documentary about uh, immigration, mm-hmm. uh, specifically immigration to Canada in like 1988, which is not, <laughs> you know, maybe the most appropriate thing for everything. But what I was shocked about was uh, how harsh the officials were who were turning refugees down. It, it, it was like they were uncaring. But what they were seeking was basically to, you know, to cull off the cream of the crop, the, the, you know, the cream that rises to the surface of every third world country possible. Right? It's like, oh, you are really successful in you've got an MBA and you, you, your wife's got a degree in economics and, and you're millionaires from your business. We'll take you. Right? Oh, you're a doctor. We could use some doctors right now. We'll take you. So how are those how are those countries like going to develop whenever somebody manages to rise up and you know make their country better? <laughs> just suddenly taken out, mm-hmm. right? Right. I can't just, quite see them saying, "Oh, you're an audiobook narrator." Okay, yeah, you can <laughs> yeah we could use end that. Of the, end of the line. Uh, I think that I think that if you're British, that actually does happen, right? I mean, yeah. They uh-huh. keep a they keep a couple of Brit narrators in that big seed vault up in the Arctic, just <laughs> small in case. That's right. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, but I I think there there's something to that. And he's he's choosing not to leave, right? He's choosing not to say fuck you to this country. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think is interesting. Is yeah, it's a world, but this world seems really small. He lives. Well, and it, he's kind of like government? Hamlet. There's not. He there's does this. He does, sorry, he does this, like, I want to just cut in, because the yeah, what you it. said makes sense of this. He he does this waffling the whole time of whether or not to take the job or not take the mm-hmm. job, whether or not to go or stay. He's always in this state of kind of unknowing, so he kind of wraps it up nicely by having him actually make a decision at the mm-hmm. end. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, that no. sounds right. I got excited. Um, go for it. That's what it's I, ner- I nerded out on that one. I, I'm, gonna, I'm going to bring up a prisoner reference since I haven't done that in at least two episodes. Right. Uh, the the, uh, the uh, prisoner episode, Change of Mind, came to mind when I was listening to this book. And for those listeners who don't remember it or haven't heard the prisoner, haven't uh, seen the prisoner, in the Change of Mind, the, the prisoner, the, the village society goes on this whole like witch hunt and talk about people who are unmutual and not good for the community. And I kept, and we were talking about and seeing all these community meetings and this whole trying to suss out Alan as being unfaithful and not being good for the community. And, and, and in a leadership role kind of reminds me of this episode because the prisoner was first accused of this. Then he's given drugs to make him conform. And then at the end, he turns the community on number two on the leader of the community and denounces him. And I was thinking like, well, even Alan as a, as the head of this censorship department is not immune to the community kind of writhing and struggling and trying to uh, 
per well, they're, they're trying to indict him over over whether he's having sex with someone who's not his wife. Right. It, that, 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 I mean, that that takes the whole con kind of conapt uh, politics to a whole new level. It, it it does go to that whole cultural revolution and yeah, ideological uh, purity and. He says that he says that it's about the cultural revolution, but that's not what I was getting. I didn't think, you know, Mao as Major Strider or uh, Strider as I thought it was pronounced. Um, have you ever but, seen? Have you, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm not that well versed on the cultural revolution of China. I mean, a lot of what I know comes from from some media, like say um, the Three Body Problem has a. Mm. As seen set in the Cultural Revolution, or the uh, movie The Red Violin, has mm-hmm. has a part set in China, and I I did get that that whole oh, oh, yeah the, 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 you you denounce your parents for mm-hmm. for for being uh, unfaithful to the revolution and to basically well he says yourself. yeah he says that and it is it is possible but um that's why when I I, I heard juveniles um. I thought uh, the very first time I heard it, I thought it was like just a kid who had followed him, right? Some <laughs> juvenile had followed him, right? And it's not a kid, right? And I said, "Huh? Well, why are they called juveniles then?" And then I, I thought, actually, maybe it's not juvenile. You know, I'm listening to the book. I'm not reading the book, so I'm hearing Luke, Luke's uh, reading, and I'm thinking maybe he's not saying juvenile. Maybe he's saying juvenile, right? The the Roman satirist he satirizes Roman society and that makes me think okay so and then at the end we've got that teenagers as opposed to juveniles which which are not exactly the same thing um, but are related and that's the thing is the cultural revolution was pushed into kids doing the revolting right kids were conscripted put into uniforms and then told to inform on their mom told to inform on everybody in the building. And this is, you know, this is how communist societies work is that there is a, uh, in one of the letters, Dick says, uh, it's about the center, everything pulling towards the center. Um, if you guys watch that show, the Americans, um, uh, that they all, they're always talking about the center. In this case, I thought it was just like, uh, you know, the center for espionage or whatever, but, uh, the word Soviet actually just means committee, right? And the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, every block, every building in Soviet Union and in China as well has a Soviet where a bunch of old people who basically people on the council in your condo get together and they decide on what is going to be cool and what's not going to be cool. And, of course, the the kids... <laughs> are sort of excluded from this. They can get into it if they want to, but because they're not, you know, a part of it exactly, this is their chance for revenge in in Mao's country, uh, Mao's cultural revolution. And I didn't see that in this book. There's not a lot of kids until the very end, right? Right. Well, so wait, but I isn't all think, the, oh, through well, the book, the little, the cohorts who are always watching. And right. They're always uh, kids, I think. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, and so I was thinking this is actually more like Nazi Germany. Um, and <clears> if you know uh, a little bit about how Nazi Germany worked, is it was exactly the same thing. Or even in in um, like bordering countries like the Netherlands, right? They'd recruit the kids to join the the Nazi uh, youth, 
Yeah. In fact, it was mandatory that you join, right? In Germany, too. It was mandatory you join. And then the kids act like little SS. They wander around the streets following people, looking for uh, trouble. And mm-hmm. they're encouraged to attack people. But this is, again, this is not exactly what we're seeing here. No. And the word witch hunts comes up. So that made me think this is actually more of an American story than Dick admits. Uh. I'm I'm also now thinking of the uh, the '80s TV show V, mm-hmm. where where the aliens just based on on actual what happens in France and, and, right. and the Netherlands, right? Right, right, and 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 the, and the aliens in, encourage and recruit humans to basically be their pawns. And, Absolutely, and they wind up uh, searching for scientists who are who are the, who are the Jews in this scenario and right. informing so this people. is a very soft very very soft version of that right there's a, there doesn't seem to be any death camps as far as I can tell there are there are I think there's slave laborers mentioned right right uh, you can be on a colony world but and the colony worlds get the same broadcasts as the the earth but I, I get the sense that n- nobody watches the TV in the colony worlds yeah yeah uh, but I, I, it made me think, like, he, he goes through, is it Central Park? It doesn't, I don't think it says Central Park. But there's a spire, right? Right. Not, not just the ta- statue, but there's also a spire. And, this, and then there's a statue to Major Streiter, um, who made me think of, you know, uh, Colonel Gaddafi sort of character. Yeah. Somebody who's, yeah. who's uh, <laughs> rallying the troops uh, around some sort of moral crusade. And or General Washington, right? That made me think the Washington Monument. But Washington's not like sort of a controversial figure in that sense that you know he's well, he he would have been in England, but he wouldn't be or, right in the states. But can you imagine, you know, state television, which there can't be in the United States, going on and making fun of like you know Ronald Reagan or something? People people wouldn't like this. That's what I was thinking of when all of these things were happening. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of this. Um, I guess the whole thing is about humor, really, like this whole like humor versus the dictatorship where you can't make fun of anything or, mm-hmm. you know, this kind of, I guess it's every like authoritarian sort of yeah, culture. You, where, no, you can't make fun of the government, whatever you do. Yeah. Right. Right, but, but but as you said, Jesse, it's a soft authoritarianism. We don't get the sense that people are being killed or sent to death camps. The worst thing can happen is you can lose your you can apartment. lose your apartment and probably wind up in a in a in a worse lesser one. And then there's, Remember, that, there's that, sorry, there's that guy. What's the point of that little story with the other guy who lives in the condo and he's rewarded with an even better condo? That that, that, that What's his name? Wales, Mr. Wales. Wales. The, the, yeah. the point of that is to uh, re- reduce the number of allies Alan has in his own apartment. That's basically get him out of the get him out of the way so Alan can be uh, targeted by the uh, the rest is he of the getting, Is he getting a better suite in the same building, or is it in a completely it, different building? It's a, it's it's in an area even closer to the spire from what right so, right. So he's he's so he's being basically being paid off to uh, get out of that uh out of that apartment so that it, Alan has less uh. Less allies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I love the parts where we're leading up to the big reveal of on the Jape. Oh, 
Where? I have the quote. All alone, Mr. Wells surveilled, surveyed his new apartment in unit R6 of leasing zone 28. A lifelong dream was fulfilled. He advanced not one, but two zones towards Umphalos. The housing authority had investigated his petition, seeing the utter virtue of his life, his devotion to public good. Right. So yeah, so he's he's being Umphalos is a word that comes up again and again. It's it's an it's a word I've used a lot in my own <laughs> role playing games. I the, the the major bad guys in one of my role playing games are the Umphalos because they think they're the center of the multiverse. Uh huh. So yeah, I, I so when I heard that, I was like, wait, Umphalos, really? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, it, and that's what it means. It, it's the it's the the center, like the Middle Kingdom sort of thing, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. So the more Morak you are, the closer you move to the center, and then I guess is what, what do they call it? Lapses. The more you lapse, then you just end yep. entirely and into the colonies. Do we ever learn what Morak means? I, I I got the sense that it was like moral reclamation or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. Maybe I maybe that's in the book. I don't remember. But if I interrupted um, you, Jesse. I apologize. No, no, that's okay. I was just thinking about uh, yeah, Morak is is a nice term and there's I noticed in the doing doing the word cloud that there was unmorak or anti-morak mm-hmm. very morak you know yeah <laughs> so morak is a, a thing that comes up but in in the uh anticipation of the big jape that's coming i was thinking uh it, there was something really cool that dick did was he he so he he does the same thing to the world as he does to us at the beginning, because we don't know what the Jape will be. But he says, we're going to do active assimilation. It could mean anything, right? The cultural revolution, it could mean anything. We don't know what it means, right? Mm -hmm. Until you actually, oh, that doesn't sound so good. Um, But they did a poll, right? (laughs) He said, "I, I wonder if the poll was real or was, you know, because... There's basically one channel, and it's the government propaganda channel, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It, maybe it's like evil BBC or something like that, right? <laughs> evil BBC. <laughs> evil BBC. <laughs> evil BBC. Um, and uh, so they do a poll and say, uh, this sixty percent uh, of the population thinks uh, returning to the policy of active assimilation would be a good idea, and they don't know what the fuck it is, right? This is the emperor's new clothes, mm-hmm. right? This is exactly uh, the kind of satire that Juvenal was doing, and uh, and of course Jonathan Swift is doing, mm-hmm. where he baits you at the beginning, says, "I have an p- idea. It is very moral. It's based on our long traditions. Right? It's something Ronald Reagan would do." <laughs> they always say, "You know, Ronald Reagan would never do that." And then you actually go and look and say, "Oh, he does all the things you said he doesn't do, and he doesn't do any of the things you said he did." Right? He just becomes this figure. So people, you when you invoke this figure, right? He, he just agree with anything. Oh well, if it was good enough for the founding fathers, it's good enough for us. <laughs> so you kind of wonder what percentage of the population, if they were told that you know. Uh, John Adams and, <laughs> and the founding fathers were all cannibals, and that's how they got rid of the Indians. Um, <laughs> do you think what percentage of the population would just go along with it and say, uh-huh? Mm-hmm. Because it seems like nobody knows. I mean, nobody knows history, right? They just take that moment and then go, well, it was a different time. 
Yeah. So if they didn't, if they lived in our time, they certainly would. have. But it's like slavery, it. right? Uh, you know, right. Uh, everybody did it. Everybody was doing it. And he was really good to his lives. He was really good to his, right. his food. He, he treated it right. <laughs> they weren't suffering in cages. They were roaming free. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So I, I, I really, really enjoyed the joke. It's not, uh, some people complain that it was not original to, uh, to Dick, but uh, I think if you're going to steal, steal from Jonathan Swift, that's probably the way to go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, did, did you guys anticipate it? I, I guess, Luke, you you had already read it recent, uh, recently enough that you knew what was coming. Well, yeah, I mean, I'd forgotten, I think, and then I started listening and it came back to me. So I, I like the, um, I think the, like the humor part that you were talking about makes sense that there's nothing, there's no way to fight the system because that just is what it is. Mm -hmm. It's that whole thing of him going back and forth between making a decision and just kind of waffling. But the only thing that you can do if you have no power is something totally meaningless, like vandalize a statue. Mm -hmm. But in the manner that he does it, turning it into a joke uh, subverts the whole kind of uh, culture in more than if he'd blown up a building or took out the stock exchange or mm-hmm. something like that, there's something about the randomness and humor of it that makes a bigger statement than some big violent act. Mm-hmm. It's also that this society is so brittle in some ways that, I mean, because everyone's spying on each other, trying to claw for better apartments. I mean, we, we, we get those people using those little robot things to try to spy on Alan in his office drilling through the holes. The society is so obsessed with this and so squabbling that even something as small as cutting off the head of a statue can be. Did you, did you guys get the uh, impression that I did? Maybe, maybe, maybe it's, maybe there was a line that I don't remember that this is the start of the fall of this society that basically him cutting off the statue is the first step in this, in this I crazy society falling apart. Yeah, because it, it, it has such a, um, it, because it's so not dystopian in its dystopia, it, it's, it seems very optimistic. I, yeah. I got that sense. That he that that he's what he's done is going to uh, finally end this 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 crazy regime where everyone's informing each other and squabbling. And this this was the push that the society needed. The society only needed a small push, and that turned out to be the cutting off of a statue's head. Hmm. Well, one of the things that that said that happened as a result of his his cutting it off was when when the cohorts arrived and into the park, their reaction was to laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Which is uh, fun. But yeah, I think also, someone says in it they'd never seen that before, right? Right. Right. Um, so uh, there's a story by Harlan Ellison uh, called "Repent Harlequin," said the TikTok man. Yes. Know this story? Yep. Nope. Oh. Well, Paul, why don't you explain what's going uh, on that one? Um, Repent Harlequin said the TikTok man is a future dystopia about this um, about this joking character, the Harlequin, who who basically tries to disrupt this absolutely perfectly ordered society. Everything runs exactly on time. Everything is perfectly in sync. If there's any, it's like Metropolis, right? It, it is like Metropolis to the tenth degree, and Harlequin does weird things like throwing throwing candies down and slowing, stopping, stopping, stopping foot traffic, and 
all, all the all these little jokes and or japes for lack of a matter of words. Yeah, yeah. He finally gets captured by the TikTok man who finally captures him and tried to get him to uh conform to society. He doesn't want to kill him or destroy him, he wants basically to fix him. And he thinks he does, but then at the end, the TikTok man goes into his office a few minutes late and 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 the office people say, Well you're late, sir. It's like nonsense, check your watch and he goes off and humming. And so it's like so in the end the the Harlequin has managed to basically He's act. infected him with laughter. He's infected him with laughter and with with the lack mm-hmm. of this perfect sense of order. It's it's a beautiful, wonderful story. It's one of Ellison's best. I know I've mm-hmm. told you the entire plot, but I think the writing and just reading it is more important than the actual plot details. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I if you haven't read it, listeners, read it. Mm-hmm. I, I noticed on the Wikipedia entry for it that uh uh, Harlan Ellison, as usual, is suing uh, somebody about the the plot being ripped off for what, a what, movie. What is Ellison not Game suing time. someone? <laughs> I've seen that one, but that one, yeah, it's probably something. It's probably the the thing is, is this is this happens all the time in regular SF, right? But as soon as the movies do it, then that's where the money is, right? Um, but I like I like that uh, these themes sort of. Uh, that's why I love science fiction so much is they allow it, it is kind of like satire. Um, in this case, it, it, it's not clear to me at all. It, Dick was going on and on in his notes or his letters defending himself as not being a Marxist, right? Not being a communist. Like, like that's a real problem, right? <laughs> Anyways, but the fact that he's having to defend himself and saying, if you just read The Man Who Japed, you would know I'm clearly not a Marxist. Like, I read this and I don't say, clearly not a Marxist? I I mean, maybe the Cultural Revolution, maybe. But uh, it's so, that's what's so cool about this story is that it it is timeless, even though it has all these sort of uh, old-fashioned technologies, you know, there's no internet, um, there's only one television channel. Yeah, but, but it's supposed to it's post-apocalyptic, so we can, so you, so you can fix it in your head that okay, society's only re, reborn to this extent, and it is such sure. a crapsack world. Like, like okay, so they only have this sort, of, and the technology isn't really described that well. I mean, I mean, they, I mean, the, the trips to the col- to the colonies and back are hand waved, so you 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 the can run make up it as a tiller, <laughs> a tiller, Stop steering wheel as a tiller, a tiller. That's a very <laughs> boat term. Good. Yeah, well, I mean, if you've ever seen the very earliest cars, right, like 1880s, 1890s cars, they do. They don't have steering wheels. They have tillers. Huh. <laughs> so you lean over to the right to make the car go to the left. And what, do they run on steam in this book as well? Like they're steam-powered? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, but the world doesn't have a lot of technology or much going on in it. Like he, I think it even sounds like... That's why his wife is taking so many drugs because they're just so bored. There's mm-hmm. just there's just nothing there. The the another comparison one of the reviewers made was to uh, a very good book um, that we've done as a podcast, uh, the Space Merchants. Oh yes, uh, and it I mean it's a little bit like that because that's about Madison Avenue taking over uh, society. This is I I don't know Broadway taking over society or something. Um, but it, like you were saying, Paul, it's a crap sack world there too, right? Oh Every, yeah. People are living on the stairways, and uh, food is not really food anymore, right? 
it's something else. I, I didn't, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about the food, but the, the world is definitely pretty. Yeah. Uh, as Luke says, it's on, it's, uh, it's running on fumes. Um, so it, it could very well, uh, be overturned at the end. I like in the, in the text, did you notice the food is always in quotation marks? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <It's, like, laughs> it's like everything is simulated right. kind right. of well, food. It was a simulated baked Alaskan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah because I bet he was hungry when he wrote a lot or something. Because <laughs> it comes through. It's one of the things he always kind of hangs his hat on is what, what's mm-hmm. the food like in this world? Yeah. Definitely. Or lack, or simulated food in the case of this poor world. Yeah. Well, it's well, the, interesting seeing what was happening to food as far as it being synthesized and fairly early on, and now it feels like that's pretty much how it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have all the things yeah, he's talking true. about. Mm-hmm. Yep, Phil it, Kittick walking down the frozen food aisle would recognize his, <laughs> the, the quasi-foods uh-huh. there. Like, yep, yep. This is what I was writing about. They're, they're in... Um, in that the space merchants, there is a artificial meat that they're really developing, and uh, it that is totally becoming you know going to be relevant. I, I haven't seen it marketed yet, but I expect that we will be seeing. I mean, tofu was here for with us for a long time, right? Uh, yes, but it's yeah. not exactly the same as artificial meat. It's just meat simulant, yeah, simulant meat. And uh, uh, I'm reminded, I was watching uh, last night, I started, ran out of st- good stuff to watch, so I started watching really good stuff that I, I remembered was good, but didn't remember that well. I was watching a show called Secret Army. You guys familiar with this show? No. No. Oh, it's out of uh, Britain. Either It's probably BBC. So, r- r- tremendous acting, you know, amazing scripts, uh, $7 budget. Right? <laughs> Shot on videotape for the most part, a little bit of film. Um, it got turned in. It's much more pr- famous, probably, for the the comedic version of it, which uh, was, came out uh, maybe a year or two after. It's called Alo Alo. It's uh, oh, yeah. oh yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, so Alo Alo is uh, there's a Frenchman who runs a bar, and he's in this resistance, or he's in the secret secret resistance in France while the Nazis sort of run around. It's kind of like a British version of. Um, Hogan's Heroes. Heroes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a, com- a comedic version of something that's very serious. Well, Secret Army is the exact same way, except it's serious. It's not uh, a comedy. But everything that happens in Alo Alo is directly copied from Secret Army. So the <laughs> the guy who um, runs the bar, his wife lives upstairs. Mm-hmm. That's the same in Alo Alo, right? <laughs> Um, that he's having uh, sex with the barmaid. That's the same in it. Except huh. it's all serious. And so one of the things that you get in living with a show that's this good and this well is all the little details. So they they talk about, you know, this this isn't real coffee. Right? And they got some real coffee and some real sugar. World War II is the really big start of all of these artificial products, Right? Artificial sweeteners, artificial coffee, or uh, what was called a chicory coffee, um, which is a coffee extender. And I, I've had some. It's not good. <laughs> it does taste a little bit like coffee. It's made from a root. Um, you can still buy it in the States. Uh, I had a friend of mine bring me some up. Why would you? 
because I wanted to try it to see because they said it tasted no, like why, why would they would sell this? I people uh, here's the thing after World War II, um, uh, Korea and Japan are liberated, right? They have no food because none of the crops have been planted for forever. They're you know on the last legs of whatever. So the Americans bring in uh, lots of canned food, they bring in spam. Well, at least spam is edible. And spam is a delicacy in China. Oh, spam yeah. is a delicacy in Korea. We go to Korean huh? restaurants and they just have spam on the menu and they have like 15 different, you know, yeah. spam flavors. Because in the same way, that chicory coffee, people get used to it and then it comforts them. But at least spam <laughs> is edible. I, I can't imagine eating chicory <laughs> coffee. Okay, okay, yes. Uh, in case you didn't know, Luke, I'm, I live in Minnesota, so since... Minnesota is the home of spam. I feel legally obligated to fi- defend spam at all possible moments <laughs> because it helps it helps the state economy. And not to mention, I actually do like spam, so it's not just me. Just but you don't uh, you don't like say, oh boy, I'm gonna have some spam. No, but right? every so often I get I get a sure. craving for it. Yeah, I have to like I have to cook some macaroni yeah. cheese, right? Because it reminds you of your youth. Yes. <laughs> right. So this, but the thing is, is that's how the Koreans feel about spam, and. So there is that that effect that people come to love the crappy stuff that they have because wow. it reminds you know you get a uh, I mean spam is horrible right so but I think that it's just interesting that I, I come to love the crappy worlds that puts <laughs> together I want to spend more time in them even though you know they're really yeah they are crap sack as you call them yeah crap craps yeah these this is the crap sack world that. I enjoy visiting in the books, but I wouldn't want to live there. Mm-hmm. You, you wouldn't want to have an apartment there. No, it probably even smaller than the apartment I have. That that that'd be sad. Well, the the radioactive island kind of sounded like the most enticing place with all the, oh, <laughs> with all the books. Yeah, <laughs> keeps I, going back to Hokkaido. Why is he going there? For ideas. <laughs> yeah. For ideas. Also, <laughs> also get 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 away. Yeah, to get away from uh, the uh, the sniping neighbors of his. Uh, <laughs> Because he, yeah, he knows for his job, he's got to have that little bit of individuality, that little like unique ideas, and there's just no ideas in their Morak society. Well, what, where's the government? It seemed to be there was no actual, you know, federal or planetary government in this story. Mm. It, it feels like they're basically holding on to a thread that there's not. Like I, I got more of the feeling that like things are kind of just going because of perpetual motion but there's not really anything behind it so yeah the quote-unquote government may cover up the japing of the statue but they're pretty much impotent to do anything other than that mm-hmm. they have this state-run tv show but it doesn't really it you know promotes the morex but that doesn't no one watches it it doesn't you know everything about it seems the society is just kind of null. The, yeah the, the impression i got was it's it's a world it's a world government but it's but the totalitarianism isn't isn't necessarily it's top, not total. <laughs> top down it's bottom up it's basically yeah, all, yeah, these, yeah. all these all these little uh con apps and other things enforcing morality and basically like bubbling there's up. death in the book right there is nothing there's no guns mentioned there's no nightsticks right this mm-hmm. is uh, a surprisingly soft dystopia it's basically yeah. Philip K. Dick's hated um, nosy woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're just like totally. busy, busybody woman. Yeah, actually the word busybody comes up, right? But yeah. if you 
and even the cars, like when they're driving, they all go anyone over 20 miles an hour. It's terrifying to them. Yeah. <laughs> so everything about them is like so milk toast. It's all about, you know, observing the status quo. Don't shake things up. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh. That scene where they're going to get overtaken by a car and they're just freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have an accident. It, it, it reminds me of a strand in, um, in, um, in, um, the coming of the quantum cats by Frederick Pohl. Have, have any, either you read, read it? I must have read it years ago. Uh, it, it, it's it's an alternate world novel, and in one of the alternate worlds, the U.S. is a quasi theocracy with with now now seems really out of place with today with people talking about Muslims. Ba- basically, basically, thanks to thanks to a alliance between Christian fundamentalists and Muslim fundamentalists, it's a it's a very pro Muslim fundamentalist theocracy. There are there are mosques everywhere. When you, when you're in court, you have to put your hand on a Bible and on a Quran. And they <laughs> and the the guy's in a pool and he takes off his top in a pool and these lights come on and he thinks they're arresting him because he took off his top in a public pool, which is apparently a crime, mm-hmm. even for a man. It, but they're arresting him for another reason entirely, which I want to swallow in case anyone wants to read it. But at one point, after. He deals with the cops and let him go. He, they say he drove, he drove at a prim 38 miles per hour on the highway all the way home. It's like what? It's like wow, this is a really crappy world where you can't even drive fast because you're trying to conserve oil. And it's and and this basically fundamentalist society, as far as Moray is concerned, that, but it's but it's very pro-Muslim. This at least one particular world. And yeah, that wouldn't fly today. That would feel even weird, even weirder with all the, with the the intolerance against uh, Islam that's going around the country today. Mm. Even the stuff that's on the black market when they go to try to find, or when they're offering to sell things, they're also like, mm. it's like the Harvard law review is like, not even that. <laughs> oh, yeah. sort of, you know, uh, uh, slightly erotica uh, fiction, but nothing well, like that's big. Deal I was trying to, dollars. What, what, so what, was one of them, was one of them Kerouac? I don't think it was, was it? Remember that. One of them was um, a real book. I know uh, one was like I. It wasn't I the jury, but it sounded like Mickey Spillane. Maybe it, yeah. Yeah. maybe it know. was a fake Mickey Spillane, but it was like I shot her in the uterus or something. Yeah, yeah. I kept yeah, shooting what? her over and over again. I looked Funny. for that. Yeah, it was called like I Killer or something. I in the, the novel. Killer. I the Killer. And I was looking yeah. for it and I was like, did he just make this up? This well, is weird. There is no. There is a really good writer named Jim Thompson, um, who wrote a book called. Uh, I think it's, it's not I the killer, but, uh, it's something like that. Um, now that I can't remember it, but Jim Thompson, he, he, he wrote like these just, you know, we talk about hard boiled. It is more hard boiled than anything else. One of them is, uh, a story of a, a small town sheriff, uh, who he's telling his own story and, uh, we read the first little bit. You know, some guy and the dog and the, there was sort of a slight. Uh, and then the, we end the first chapter with the main character saying, of course I had to destroy him. <laughs> he just does. He just kills him. Right? Oh, okay. it's, wow. it's, it's all about like this sort of psychopath who masks himself as just, you know, the town sheriff. And because he's the town sheriff, he, you know, investigates his own murders. <laughs> uh, huh. Oh, man. Wow. It's, 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 uh, there's a Guy de Montpassant story like that as well, uh, where it's a judge who, 
who condemns people to death for crimes that murders that he's done. Right. And he just gets great joy out of it. And, and that could, that could have been a Jim Thompson book, but I have a feeling it was a Mickey Spillane because Mickey Spillane uh, is more contemporary and Jim Thompson's not, I think, I think he's a little later. Maybe not. I, I, I found the quote. Oh, great. Yep. Um, Nothing for me, Alan murmured. Before him was a huge pile of moldering newspapers, magazines, books, tied with brown cord. Saturday Evening Post, the top one read. Six years of the Post, Gates said. From 1947 to 1952, lovely condition. Say, 15 bills? He pawed on an open stack beside the Post, ripping and shredding violent. Here's a sweet item. The Yale Review, one of those little magazines. Got stuff <laughs> on Truman Capote, James Jones. His eyes sparkled shyly. Plenty of sex. And then, mm-hmm. and then Alan examined a faded waterlogged book. It was cheaply bound in bolting pulp with stained pages. The Infatigable Virgin, Jack Woodsby. His opening at random, he came across an absorbing paragraph. Her breasts were like two cones of white marble, bolting with <laughs> the co- torn covering of her thin soul right. dress. I think I'll stop reading there. But yeah, oh, good grief, <laughs> Alan said. Yeah, it's like, wow. <laughs> and, and, and here's I the Killer. Yep, I the Killer. Again, I shot her in the groin. Guts and blood spilled out, soaking through her torn skirt. Wow, yeah. And, think, and, and then he but then the, is, Yeah, isn't don't they then say that the James Joyce one is like that's the really spicy one? Like right. after all that sex and violence, they're He's most shocked by the <laughs> ten thousand yeah. dollars he wants for uh, <laughs> uh The the book I was thinking of is called The Killer Inside Me. Okay. Uh, yeah. The the narrator Lou Ford is a small town deputy sheriff who appears amiable, pleasant, and slightly dull minded. Ford is actually very intelligent and fighting a near constant urge to act violently. Ford describes his urge yeah, it's really good. Uh, he describes his urge as the sickness, always italicized. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's so good. Um, he, he Thompson, you might know him. His most famous thing probably is The Grifters. They got turned into that movie, The oh, Grifters. Oh yeah, yeah, we, we uh, with uh, John Cusack and Angela. Yeah, Wilson. yeah, that's a good movie. And you know. Uh, uh, Donald Westlake wrote the script for that, uh, which he I think he won a, an award for, um, which is unusual because he's a New York guy not writing for movies mostly. Uh, Donald Westlake, also a wonderful writer who did that sort of, you know, uh, he did a, a novel where he wrote it from the killer's point of view. Uh, except uh, there was one he did two. One was a comedic version and one was a, a straight up version. And it was like, yeah, advancing. How do you advance your career? That's not the title, but it was basically how to advance your career in business. And he does that by killing off, killing off his rivals. (laughs) Yeah, that'll do it. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, there's there's more Jim Thompson uh, audiobooks out there because they're really terrific. At least nobody's killing people to advance themselves in this novel. They're just they're just cattle selling on them and getting you shipped out to uh, lesser apartments. It, it it is so soft. It is like um, that lady who slipped a note under my door. Yeah, <laughs> running, running the world. Like the worst thing she can do to me is is make but me a, feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> For, I didn't do anything. Come on, lady. Well, and what did you guys make of this mental health planet? Like it was a, one of those visits to a uh, that happen in all of his books. It seems to like an alternate world that's not real. Well, it's it starts it starts off as the alternate world with the alternate Chicago, and then he finds out he's on this mental health plan. He basically snaps out of his psychosis. And, <laughs> he goes and, on and on about how he only has fifty dollars. 
<laughs> he kept saying, but I only have $50. And then yeah. all he does is he just makes a fuss and they kick him off. Because at the start of the book, they're saying that people voluntarily go there. Like they give up on the Moriac society and they're like the enemies of the Moriac yeah. civilization. They go to this mental health planet. So is it? I have a feeling that that's, I have a feeling. Yes, I think I, I think Dick said he had to cut out like 15,000 words from this book. Uh-huh. Um, I would guess that we would get more of that because it's really undercooked in. the Yeah, yeah. We, we we get a nice vision of what it's like there. And when he gets back, he says, oh, that was their scheme all along. They were going to charge me for something while I was there and I'd never be, get out of their debt, which is uh, also another kind of dystopia, right? Where you get stuck mm-hmm. in debt and can't get out of it. Stuck at a mental health resort doing odd jobs and right living in paradise, but... Do- but uh, mopping mopping floors at the at the same time or something like that. But yeah, I, I I I think you're right, Jesse. He probably cut out a bunch of stuff about that planet. And at the end, what what's the the guy with the girl's name? Mildred. It's not Mildred. It's something like that. Oh, Mavis. Mavis. It? Mavis. Mavis. When Mavis is describing the world they're going to escape to, right? He says, Myron. "Don't." No, it's not me. Oh yeah, Myron's pal. It's Mavis. Mavis. It's- when Mavis is describing the world they're going to escape to on the rocket, he says, you know, don't worry, you'll have plenty to do, you know, taking care of cows. Um, there won't be any time for fun and rest, but uh, he's like, yeah, let's do it. Because uh, those are all clean sort of activities, even if you have to work hard. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, you know, it's not dealing with. Like I just have a feeling that being in those meetings every week would be just soul sucking, grinding, horrible. Because I, I, there's something about the uh, oh, yeah, it's uh, a horror story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it, 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 you, it's almost like the interrogation that happens there is like the interrogation between a husband and a wife when they're on their divorce. You know, oh yeah. Uh, they're on the path to divorce and they're full of resentment and, and with the anonymous accusers, right? Uh-huh. Um, Everything is disinterpreted and like just twisted and, um, yeah. and, and I like how they turn the juveniles or sorry, the juveniles off, um, when they're in there. So it's like, uh, what are they representing? If it is a marriage, is it like though my friend at the, at the, uh, coffee shop saw you walking down the street holding a woman's hand um and yet he seems to have a an open marriage with his own wife right mm-hmm. it's so weird this book is really it's got a lot of stuff going on even if it is really quite short mm-hmm. I, I i needed to be a little longer and a little uh rewritten i think to uh, actually be a I, I'd say this is a C-class dick novel. It's not bad, but yeah, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's kind of like the time I made uh, carbonara and I didn't cook the egg right, and the and the egg and it undercooked a little. It's like mm-hmm. uh, it tasted okay, but it didn't quite work. Needs a little more spice. Needs a little more spice, and it would be cooked a little longer, and then it'd been fine. Not fully poached. Uh, I, I wanted to just read some of those. Uh, you know, I was reading from the satire of um, Juvenal, mm-hmm. the Roman guy who's he he starts starts it off um, his satires saying why he's writing satire. And it starts with these two lines. It is hard not to write satire. 
For who is so tolerant of the unjust city, so steeled that he can restrain himself? I thought that was nice. I, 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 can't, help, I can't help it. Well, society is, society yep. needs to be made to laugh at. Yeah, that, that's exactly juvenile. Um, and then this is uh, from Satire 2. Um, lines 1 through 35. It starts, Pathic men. And I looked up what Pathic meant. Um, and that takes us to sexuality in ancient Rome on Wikipedia. Um, and it shows, you know, like, it basically it means deviant, right? Uh, men who have sex with men or men who have sex with horses or whatever it is. Pathic men that pretend to be moral exemplars are much worse than those who are open about their proclivities. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, he's talking about Republicans. <laughs> you know, the Republican yeah. congressman who gets caught with the wide stance or whatever it is. In the <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. In the Minneapolis airport. Yes. <laughs> because they, you know, they're he's it's just yeah there's so much to make fun of uh mm-hmm. in a society that's that developed and you know sort of that rich um but in this case it's is that poor who's to blame <clears throat> it may, it also made me think of uh the period of time with the witch hunts in in the United States uh and sort of the puritanism because it's puritan oh. it's puritanical, right? Major Strider is very strident, is what I'm yeah. thinking. Yeah, I, 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 I get the etymology of that word. Yeah, strider mm-hmm. for strident. Mm-hmm. Strider is is. Strider, thank you. I, I thought it was Strider, like you know the guy from the Lord of the Wings or Lord of the Rings. Uh, <laughs> but uh, going and looking at the text, did did you make a conscious choice in that, Luke, and its pronunciation? Um, sure. <laughs> I like, like this about uh, audiobooks no. is you. You know, you can make a slight tweak, and a person who's not reading along with the text won't know. Yeah, no, we wouldn't. I wouldn't generally be uh, uh, do that on purpose. I'm wondering if uh, it's uh, more just how I said it, or if I read it. So it's written as Strider with a T. Yeah, E I T I think it's because it's, I'm just not hitting the T as hard. I think I'm hitting it more. But you have to make a choice, right? You can't – on the page, we can be ambivalent about it. And we can take uh, when I'm, Yeah. No, it has to be consistent. So no matter yeah, yeah, what yeah. I do, I'd have to stay with the one that I choose. I couldn't waffle back and forth and right. sometimes say that. But, um, yeah, there's a few things I noticed in re-listening to it that kind of stuck out to me that I'm not sure – Hindsight's twenty twenty, but there's. It's always interesting to re, to listen back to a book, especially years later, because you see all sorts of things that you, I might you know do differently if I was going to do it again, or uh, things where I wonder like, why did I make that choice, or mm. did I make that choice, or did it just uh, happen naturally? <laughs> it um, happened, that's that, that's what this book's about, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I think <laughs> that's my justification for being unprepared. <laughs> I would just. Uh, Philip Philip K. Dick would be displeased if I came in and had done a bunch of homework. He'd be like, "God, you asshole! You should have just, <laughs> you know, just wing it." Um, no, I I think that uh, the Strider to me always meant more like like strident, like you said, and also he has this you know striding forward in the mm. the, the, the yeah. shape of the statue is st- stepping forward, striding into the future, that kind of confident. Yeah self-assured uh, uh almost hubris that then leads to a fall yeah um 
uh, so that overly done. But no, I, I don't you need, remember. You Maybe need that guy, just... right? You need him to be that guy for the for the jape to work. He has to right. be like a Ronald Reagan founding father, you know. Well, I don't George think he has Washington to even be figure. like a real person. It's more of a symbol at that right. point. Right. Well, like, that's how they treat Reagan, right? Is right, right. He, you don't know anything about what he actually did, but it's do know like he's that. strong. He's an idea. He's not a, a right. man. Yeah, it's that, exactly. that idea is bigger than a man. So whatever he did must have been good. So you just invoke his name and it's good. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.